Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Deplorable Nation. I'm your host, Deplorable Janet. And today I have a beautiful new guest to the show and is somebody that I actually know from my personal life. And uh, I've known since 2013. So it's been a minute um, since since we actually met for the first time. So welcome, Miss Sarah. How are you, my dear? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me on. I feel honored that you asked. I am super excited that you said yes, because at first I was like, well, I don't know if if she's going to want to do that or not, because sometimes like coming on a show is not people's thing and you never know. So it never hurts to ask. So I'm glad you said yes. So for the listeners, tell me a little bit about you before we get into your story. Um, so, you know, I, my name is Sarah. I just turned 50 years old about, I don't know, four months ago. I'm still having issues with turning 50, <laughs> but I'm trying to embrace this it. This is understandable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm trying to embrace the big five-o. Um, I work in media sales. I've been doing that for a really long time. Um, I enjoy what I do. I love what I do, uh, which is always a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have been single for a long time. I do date here and there, but you know, it's, it's, it's and Memphis. To d- today's times, um, dating is a little bit more challenging. <laughs> it, it is. I hate the apps. I hate it all. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I, I'm so used to being by myself now that it's, you know, I've embraced it. So it mm-hmm. is what it is. Um, and, you know, I have a little, and I know we're going to get into this, but I have a little over eight years in recovery, um, which is, you know, the topic of today. So I'm really mm-hmm. excited to talk about that, tell my story and, and hope that it helps somebody. Now you're from a really, uh, large family. Are you not? I am. <laughs> Lots of Catholic Italians, yes. <laughs> and you just you just recently had uh, like a little family reunion, right? We did, we did. We um, went to St. Louis this past weekend for La Festa, which is the Italian heritage. You know, they do it every year on the hill. If you know anything about St. Louis, you know that the hill is the you know Italian spot. And if you want good Italian food and you know, Italian goodies, that's where you go. And so we did that. We had some family come in from Louisiana and kind of all across the country. And so that it was fun. Some of those people I'd never met before. So it was, it was really neat (laughs) to meet my, my mother's cousins. So that I had not gotten to meet. So it was, it was a lot of fun. I love it. I love going back. It's always interesting when you have people that have really huge families like that how many people you have never met in your family that you run across. Yes. It's, it's amazing. Every time I go, I meet somebody new that I'm related to. It's amazing. It really is. Which is going to be harder to keep up with. Right. Exactly. Yes. And if you, if you do Christmas cards and stuff, I'm sure that list is going to be exponentially longer. Yeah. Thank God my mom still does that stuff, so I don't have to do it. She keeps everybody informed of what everybody does. But, yeah, I mean, I guess when she passes, somebody's going to have to 
and Take I'm not torch. putting that out there, but yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. Somebody's going to have to pick that up and I have a feeling it's probably going to be me. So, cause since I'm the oldest, so we'll see. So coming from a Catholic family, did you go to like Catholic school and raised I in did. the Catholic church and all of that stuff? So I did, you know, I went to, you know, I was born in St. Louis. We moved around a lot. My dad was in the military. Um, we ended up in El Paso, Texas, and then Jonesboro, Arkansas. And then I grew up in Memphis. But prior to that, I did elementary school in Fort Smith. And so I, which Fort Smith, Arkansas, and I went to a Catholic school there. Um, when we came to Memphis, I was in seventh grade and I went to Germantown Elementary. Once I got to high school, I went to Germantown High School my freshman year. My parents were like, you need to go to a Catholic high school. So they switched me over to St. Benedict and I graduated from there. But yes. Um, so was it like a, was it like a strict Catholic Italian upbringing? Um, you know, I wouldn't know. I, I wouldn't really say it was a strict, I mean, my, you know, my dad could be, you know, my dad could be hard sometimes. Mm-hmm. I think I pushed the limits a lot, which, you know, <laughs> I'm sure we'll get into Not, that. But uh... I, did, I, you know, I honestly, I, I made, I made it hell for them sometimes <laughs> if I'm being a hundred percent honest. So I probably made it worse for them. Um, but no, I mean, no, you know, we weren't, it wasn't that strict. It really wasn't. So they didn't I, have like <clears throat> very uh, stringent regulations and rules as far as substances or boys or um, just the normal thing. Not yeah, like it's just, just crate, the normal right? stuff. Yeah, yeah. Not, not really. Not that I can think of, no. Mm-mm. So... Being that you have been in recovery for eight years, um, first of all, what were you addicted to? So I was addicted to opioids, um, mostly hydrocodone, you know, Percocet, those kind of things. And it um, it, it was more, more or less pain medicine. Um, I... How it started out was I had had um, major female issues was when I was married, I was trying to get pregnant, found out during that time that I had endometriosis and polycystic ovarian disease. I was getting cysts every month on my ovaries um, and it was just an awful time. And then trying to take fertility meds on top of it made my cysts worse. So back then in, you know, 2000, when we were, my, my ex-husband and I were starting this, um, you know, giving out pain medicine wasn't a big deal. I mean, mm-hmm. it was just what they did to help you get through the pain. And, right. and so I was on it for a very, very long time. Um, and so it kind of happened I guess you would say not naturally. That's such a weird word to say, but, you know, I guess honestly at the time. Now, I obviously took it to the next level, 
um, and those kind of things. But that's how it started. That's how I got my first taste of it. Um, mm-hmm. And then, yeah, then it went downhill from there. <laughs> so tell me like about your journey going through that, because, you know, and a lot of people that are addicted to especially opioids, you are absolutely right because they, that, that was the thing and they would hand it out like candy and it was no big deal. And you've got all these companies telling you, oh, these, these are help you with the pain and they're non-addictive. And so the marketing was really uh, genius behind it, obviously, because, you know, they capture you. And then once they capture you, especially on opioids, you need more and more and more to satisfy because, you know, you build up a tolerance just like you do with anything. So take me through what your, what your journey was like down that path. So, um, like I said earlier, my ex-husband and I were trying to get pregnant and it didn't work. Um, I, I was having all of these issues. Um, and then two years later we started going through a divorce. Um, there were so many different things that happened, um, leading up to that. And I was, I was depressed and realistically didn't know it, Mm -hmm. um, at the time. I realized, um, while I was taking this pain medicine, how it was helping me sleep. And so even if I wasn't in pain, I started taking one at night just to sleep and I wouldn't do it every night. I would just do it when I was really struggling to sleep. And through that, I started to realize, oh my gosh, I'm going through this divorce. I don't have to think about it. I don't have to feel anything you know, let me just take one. And so that's how for me, it started to spiral. Mm -hmm. And it took, I mean, it took a a good year for that to really happen for me to really start to get getting addicted because I was smart enough to kind of put a few days in between Mm -hmm. and then started doing it on a nightly basis. Um, And then when I started going through The ins and out of divorce, I realized I started taking it more. Now, in that time, I was still having excruciating amounts of pain, too, on Mm -hmm. top of it. So, And stress stress doesn't help that. No, it doesn't. And so I was taking it for the pain, but also realizing, hey, it makes me feel better and I don't have to think about stuff. So when I wasn't in pain, I I started taking it. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's kind of how it started to spiral out of control. Um, and so that continued on for a good, I'm trying to remember back. Cause it's so crazy. Every time I tell my story, I remember a little bit, I think I told you this prior mm-hmm. to this. I remember a little bit more about right. my story. It's funny how your brain works that way. Um, but I do remember making a phone call. I was still living at the house and I realized I, I started to kind of freak out because I was, taking it. And I realized, oh my God, I'm taking it for when I don't need it. Mm-hmm. And so I remember making a phone call, I think to Lakeside or something. And I was worried about my job and, <laughs> and I called Lakeside and I said, can a doctor or somebody call your job and say, Hey, you're, you know, somebody is taking medicine when they're not supposed to. Mm-hmm. And 
I, I don't even remember what they told me, but my ex-husband was apparently recording my conversations on the phone because I think he thought for some reason I was having an affair. I don't know mm-hmm. why, because it was not true, but he was, I'm just, my- I'm just stoned sweetheart. Yeah, <laughs> <Right>. exactly. <laughs> I'm and numb. So, thank- yeah. And so he confronted me about that phone call and I was like, Oh my God. And so you would have thought that that conversation with him would have jolted me into, okay, you know, obviously I'm doing all these things for the wrong reasons, um, you know, but it didn't. Mm-hmm. That caused me to start to spiral because I was like, you know what? I don't even want to think about the fact that he has some inclination. I will hide it. I will do whatever I have to do. And so that's what I did. I I started hiding it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I moved out shortly after that, got my own place and, you know, was again, still going through the, the female issues and at the same time, still taking it when I, when I didn't need to. So, um, shortly after that, I, I don't know how my parents figured it out or knew something was going on, but they did. And I remember I went to my first rehab shortly after that. Um, and when, I think I went to Lakeside for 30 days or something, mm-hmm. got clean. Out or inpatient treatment, right? Yeah. I went to inpatient treatment, um, got clean, was clean for a while. And then. I, you know, was still having the issues. I was still having the issues. I don't think I ever really talked to my doctor about me going to treatment. I think I kind of left that part out. He started (laughs) writing in them again because Mm -hmm. he he saw a reason too. And I had a legitimate reason. Mm -hmm. And then it started to spiral again. I mean, it was just, you know, at that time, And because I wasn't being honest with my doctor too, he saw no other way realistically. Right. Um, And, and, you know, previously before, you know, uh, before we got divorced, I had had a couple abdominal surgeries. They went in and cleaned out some endometriosis. They had taken a few cysts off. I was hospitalized for cysts that had um, ruptured. So, And during that time, I did not get addicted, you know, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, too, things were good in my marriage or at least they made the appearance that they were. So, you know, it definitely that's definitely what what started it all. So, yeah. So what did what did your parents say to you when they when they found out? Were they kind of understanding or were they very different? You know, <laughs> it's funny because it, I mean, this was 20 something years ago. I don't remember. And that's so bad. I don't remember. I know that they, I, I'm sure 100% they were disappointed. I'm sure that in their mind, they thought, you know, something's really wrong here. Somebody needs to fix her. You know, mm-hmm. if we can get her off these drugs, you know, she'll be fine. Um you know, I, I'm sure that, you know, I, I believe that they confronted me. I think my sister-in-law was involved in it. One of my brothers was. They in- do an intervention on you? Yeah, I, I, I think they did. Yeah. Um, And 
It's so crazy because now I'm starting to remember. Um, I think it was at my apartment. I think they sat me down and said, you know, you need to do this. They're really concerned. You know, I wasn't, and, and it got to the point too, Janet, where I wasn't paying my bills. I was barely going to work. I mean, mm-hmm. the depression had really, really set in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it was, it was tough. It was hard. And, and I think that is what clued them in that something was going wrong because I, I wasn't paying my bills. I wasn't doing the things I needed to do. And that's definitely not you. Yeah. And so, and that, that was frustrating, you know, and I did that. I mean, I had that same cycle for almost 20 years. I mean, Mm -hmm. I would, I would be okay. You know, I'd have a little clean time, but I didn't do the work in between. I mean, I just had some clean time where I stayed off of it. As soon as I started a little bit feeling a little bit of pain, I used that as an excuse to go see a doctor Got mm-hmm. my pain medicine again, and the cycle started over. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's when I started doctor shopping. You know, back then they didn't have the um, the state you know, uh, electronic system. That yes, they do now <laughs> they did not. So it was very easy to do, right? Um, and I got good at it too, man. I, I was, I, I thought I had it down. And mm-hmm. you couldn't get away with that today. That is for sure. Yeah. Right. And people, um, not every state, I don't think has this, but Tennessee um, was the first state that I've lived in. And I've lived in a lot of states um, where they have an electronic system that's run, uh, I don't, by the state, I'm assuming that if you prescribe opioids to a patient, you have to put in their name their date of birth, their social security number. It will literally pull up their record to tell you what pharmacies they fill at, how many times they've filled, uh, if there's current prescriptions or whatever, because uh, there is such a problem down here in Tennessee that it was smart of them to do that. But the states that really, really need that system don't have that yeah. but you you had to actually soon as the doctor wrote it in the in the chart notes you know that they're going to prescribe you x y and z you have to go run this report you have to print it out and it becomes part of your permanent record yeah now the that's that's good to deter patients but also uh you are not supposed to share mental health records or substance abuse records, unless you get a consent from the patient stating so. Correct. Right. Does that always happen? Mm-mm. No. No. So, because, did you have doctors that became, like, leery of prescribing you stuff, and that's why you started doctor shopping? Sure. Absolutely. I mean... Absolutely. Or I would run out too early knowing that I couldn't call my doctor. So mm-hmm. I got really good at calling the after hours line, mm-hmm. you know, because as, back then they didn't have computers to even see if you were a patient, you know? Yep. And so if you called them on the weekends and yeah, I mean, I, you know, I got really good at that. I would just pull the phone back out and say, okay, who, who haven't I called? And I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I just, I just think about all the things that I did and it's just, it blows me away because I can't even imagine myself doing that now, mm-hmm. not because what's in place now and I could 100% could call, 
it's just, I'm not that person anymore. Right. And I, it, it blows my mind that I did some of the things that I did. I mean, it, mm -hmm. it really does. And, and, you know, that's why, I, you know, I, I have to say that addicts are some of the smartest people you will ever meet. Mm -hmm. They're the, some of the smartest, the kindest, you know, they're the most generous people you will ever meet once they get past or they have their addiction stabilized and, mm -hmm. and really, cause li listen, I'm always going to be an addict. You know, um, I always have to be very careful. You know, there have been a time or two where I've had a kidney stone and had to take something, but I've been very, um, you know, I have to be accountable for that. And how I've done that is work with my sponsor and she has worked, helped me through that. Um, because it is hard because there is, you know, unfortunately when you become addicted to opioids, like I was, mm -hmm. you know, things happen, things do happen and you do get hurt. Something physical happens, you know, or whatever. And you have to take something, um, you know, because I I'm sorry, I'm not going to be a martyr and I'm not going to be in excruciating pain. But at mm -hmm. the same time, I have to know, first of all, that I am accountable for it. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I always have my sponsor who's involved and somebody else that I'm accountable for and to. Mm -hmm. Um, and if I don't feel like I can be accountable, then I hand the medicine off and let somebody else give them to give, right. it, give it to me. Um, or I just don't take it. I mean, you know, there've been many times where I've told my doctor, you know, no, I, you know, I can get through this or whatever, but you know, when it's a kidney stone, I'm sorry, I, I'm not, <laughs> I you ever had one? Kidney stones are worse than <clears throat> labor pains. And I, I will definitely attest to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So knock on wood, I have not had one in a while. Thank God. Um, mm -hmm. I think diet has definitely helped with that. So mm -hmm. for sure. So, so yeah. how, how much were you taking per day, like at the height of everything? Oh, gosh, probably, you know, 15, 20 pills a day. I mean, mm -hmm. I would take. I, I I I will say this, that I was always scared about overdosing. I would I, I always knew how much. Tylenol I could take. You know, I would look stuff up and I'm like, okay, if I take this much, am I going to overdose? I mean, I was a very conscious, I guess. I, I don't know, but I was so scared to overdose because I would, I always used by myself except in the later years. Um, mm -hmm. But during that time, I always used by myself. I was always so scared. So, you know, I took as I, I pushed it to the limit for sure, but I would probably take four at a time and if they were 7.5s and three, if they were 10 milligrams, you know, mm -hmm. depending on what they were. And then if they were fives, man, I'd take five or six at a time. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I mean, but I would say, you know, tw 20, 15 to 20 a day for sure. Yeah. So you were, you were in a band, you were in the music scene and, and of course that's how we met. Cause that's, that was our life for a really long time is just <laughs> like all of our friends were in bands and you would literally see us as permanent fixtures every time <laughs> yeah. somebody was playing somewhere. Mm -hmm. So tell me how difficult that was um, in the bar scene here. 
it was when literally everybody is on yeah. something. Yeah. It was difficult for me as somebody who 100% was addicted. Um, mm -hmm. And I, and look, there were people I think that had an idea. There were people, you know, that maybe didn't, but knew something was off with me. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, I remember before I could get on stage, I would have to pop two pain pills and take a shot of fireball and a, mm -hmm. a, a glass and I would drink a glass of red wine during my set or whatever. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but I would always have to have something. I like me getting on stage now is very fearful. Is It's a fear thing for me. That's why I haven't sang since, you know, mm -hmm. 2014 mm -hmm. um, or 15, um, you know, but yeah, I would have to have something because I, I don't know. I, it just, for me, it was such a fear. It was I always worried about what people thought about me. I always mm -hmm. worried about how I looked. I always worried about all those things, how I sounded, all of those things. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, now did I have friends who did it, who were giving me pills? Yeah. People in the audience, I will say, not even yeah. the band people. <laughs> I was just gonna say there yeah. was there was one particular time um at the one club that we always used to frequent like a lot, and I swear our names were on the stools. Um and I got a headache one time mm -hmm. and I literally went to take Excedrin out of my purse and like this swarm. Of people were like, Whoosh. yeah, is that Xanax? Do you have Xanax? And I'm like, yeah. no, it's Excedrin. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do, do you need one? Yeah, <laughs> right. Like, I don't, I don't, I was never on like Xanax or anything like yeah. that. And so I'm, I'm like, what is wrong with people down here? Like literally every single person I met when I moved here, especially in that scene was like, yeah on something or lots yeah. of things yeah or there would be people that literally had bags of yeah. pills yeah in their backpacks or whatever that they would bring on stage with them yeah it was yeah and and you know I, again you know it was now most of my friends that you know i had that were coming to see me who had the stuff um you know they would give them to me for free or whatever you know which was great and nice at the time because I was flat broke I really wasn't working during right. that time except for and I being in a band here doesn't pay very no, well it not, no it doesn't <laughs> and, and honestly at the time I really didn't want to work I mean I really didn't I wanted to do the band and that was it and I was silly it's stupid mm -hmm. but you know I thought I could do it I thought I could get away with it and just do that for a while and but my addiction was just so bad and and again I was still having female issues I mean that was on the cusp of me getting ready to have a hysterectomy I knew that you were definitely gonna need meds for that yeah mm -hmm. and I just, I had to, in my brain, I had to say, okay, you know, 
I'm still having all these issues. I mean, there were times when I had to sit out of the band because I was in so much pain. I mean, I was double mm-hmm. over, over in pain and I was bleeding a lot. Sorry to any of your male listeners, but I mean, it was just horrible. And You're used to it. Don't worry. I know. And <laughs> I think very I graphic. Remember, yeah, I know. And I think I remember calling you a couple of times saying, yep. oh my God, you know, this mm-hmm. is horrible. What do I do? You know, and it, and it was, it was bad, but mm-hmm. you know, that during that time, yes. Did I need it? Yes. At that time. But on those other days, no, I was still taking them. I was still It froze. You know, it was just a horrible. You froze there for a second. So you'll have to repeat what you just said. (laughs) Oh, did I freeze? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Um, No, what I was saying was, you know, at the time, you know, obviously I was getting ready to have the hysterectomy. Mm -hmm. You know, I was in pain. 90% 90% of the time, but at the, the other 10%, I was still using it. I was still, I was not holding on to it until the next time when I needed something, you know, if she gave me 30 pills, I was going to take, you know, 28 of them and hold on to two, maybe if I was mm-hmm. lucky, mm-hmm. you know? So, I mean, it was just, it was just a, it was a horrible, it's horrible when you're in pain and you're an addict mm-hmm. because, in your brain, you start to justify why you take it those other times. Well, exactly, you yep. know, and so it, it, it does make it really hard. It's certainly 100% not an excuse. It just makes it easier for me to justify in my brain of why mm-hmm. I did the things, some of the things that I did. Um, so yeah. That was, well, that was and it's tough. funny because anybody that you talk to that has, has had any kind of addiction, whether it's you know, drugs or alcohol or, or whatever the case is, they're very good at manipulating themselves. Sure. Into, to like putting your, almost putting your brain in a state of la la land where you don't have any critical thought process. And you're like telling yourself, no, really you need this because uh, your toenails crooked. You literally need this because yeah. uh, somebody looked at you wrong. You know, and it's like all of these, all of these things, you know, these excuses, we're very good at like making them for ourselves. And I can tell you that because, you know, uh, my husband and I, like I said, being in the bar scene for such a really long time, we drank a lot. And I mean, a lot. And we were discussing that this morning because that does not happen anymore. But we're talking like we would go out five nights a week at least. Yeah. Um, Sometimes more if we weren't, you know, if there wasn't anybody coming to play that, you know, we wanted to watch or whatever. We would literally buy five cases of beer for two days. Wow. Yeah. You know, it was a lot. And of course, we don't that is not us anymore. That's not our lives. But we're like, we can't function on a normal level without this, we can't like, I can't talk to somebody on the show without drinking. I can't whatever, whatever. And it was just constantly excuses. Yeah. Yeah. To justify shitty behavior. And I, we had really shitty behavior. We did. We were uh, very um, wild. (laughs) 
We all were, girl. We're, we all were. We're way too old now to be uh, wild like that because, yeah. yeah. So, how? Uh, tell me what what the pain um, from the polycystic ovarian and the endometriosis. Describe what it feels for people that have no idea what that's like. So it feels like if you're a woman, it feels like the absolute worst period you could possibly ever have. Mm -hmm. um, on top of having a cyst that's on your ovary that just feels like it's, it's kind of hard to explain because it feels like, like for a me, it felt like a heady stabby knife pain. Yeah. I mean, it, yes, it, but it also kind of felt like you have this huge like ball on top of your ovary that's just sitting there like putting pressure on any, it feels like your whole insides are squeezing together. Mm -hmm. Um, and then on top of that, it's like you're bleeding so heavy and it just makes, you know, it, not only was it painful mentally, it, it kind of took a toll on me because. Because mm -hmm. you always was, felt terrible. Yeah. I always felt terrible. I always wanted to have children. That's what I had always wanted. I mean, it, mm -hmm. it literally took me getting into recovery to actually process the fact that I could never have kids again or mm -hmm. ever have kids. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, because I, when I tell you I got extremely depressed, I mean, it, I, I was so depressed. I couldn't literally, I, I could, I stopped functioning and, mm -hmm. um, you know, and when you're in so much pain and, you know, like you said, it just, it, it just absolutely 100% mentally takes a toll on you. Mm -hmm. Um, and it sucked and it, it, it was heartbreaking for me because again, I always thought I'd be a mom, mm -hmm. you know, and I, I was a stepmother and I am so grateful for him, you know, that I got to be part of his life in some very formative years. And, you know, he's thriving. He's 30 years old, has his own child. He's married. He's doing great. Um, but there's, there's also something about having your own children and going through that process. And the fact mm -hmm. that I, I felt like I was robbed of that. Right. Um, it took me a long time to accept it. And I well, think. And a lot of women too describe that as feeling like they're broken, like something's wrong with them because sure. they can't, Yeah, you know, they can't have what, you know, all these other people have, especially yeah. people that have no desire to be pregnant and literally, yeah. you know, sperm could float by them and, and yeah. they would get pregnant on yeah. a whim. Absolutely. And, you know, and, and that was the thing is I always knew it was me. I always knew I was the issue because I had so many issues and, and my ex-husband at the time did get tested. You know, today he's got four more kids, you know, he's remarried <laughs> and had, had four more kids. So we know it wasn't him at all. Um, but yeah, I mean, it does. It, it kind of makes you feel exactly. It makes you feel like there's something wrong with me. Mm -hmm. I had to get to the point where I had to say, you know what? God had another plan for me. Right. Do I know what that is? No, mm -hmm. but I have to accept that. And it right. just wasn't in my name in, in it for me to have kids. Mm -hmm. What I love about my life today is, you know, I have, you know, seven nieces and nephews here. I have 
five in it, five, five in Atlanta. I didn't mm-hmm. think about that, you know, but the, the ones here I see all the time. And the great thing about that is they can come see me and I can send them home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I couldn't do that with my own kids. Well, but, and, and plus with the job that you have, yeah, uh, I'm sure there's probably travel involved. And when you have kids or animals, um, yeah, it is a lot harder to pick up and do. Yeah. Because you have those other responsibilities that you have to make sure are taken care of or you take with you and then you've got a plan for them while you're, you know, at work doing your thing or, or whatever the case may be. It's, and a lot of people don't think about that when they want kids. Yeah. You know, is the, the amount of time and effort that it takes that goes along with that for everyday stuff. Yeah. And you know, Mm. at the, the same time when all that was going on and I was questioning, you know, you start to question too, would I have not been a good mom? Would mm-hmm. I have not been able to give them what they needed? Is that why God made this choice? Mm-hmm. You know, and and I remember talking to a really good friend of mine who is, a, you know, a just a wonderful Christian, you know, mom and, you know, and it's actually my sister-in-law and I, I remember her telling me one time, you know, you sometimes you just can't question. You just can't. You're never going to know. You're not going to mm-hmm. know the answer to that. And, you mm-hmm. know, you, God never does anything because you're not good or because right. you aren't good enough. Right. He just has a, a, a better plan for you, mm-hmm. you know, and that could be anything, you know, I mean. I believe in this moment, I'm so sorry about my dogs. Those are my children. And I do not know when to shut I know up. you have the most beautiful dogs. Somebody's obviously at the door. Um, sorry. Sometimes having dogs is worse than having kids. Yeah. I think... Uh, Kroger's here or somebody. Um, like you've got a package. Is there something for us? It, it, it's either Kroger, shipped, or Amazon. <laughs> um, okay, I just totally lost my train of thought. Thank so you. having a different purpose or a different path, yeah. um, a lot of times is the thing that people struggle to understand or, or see. Yeah. You know, that they're supposed to be doing something completely different with their life than, you know, what they think. Um, What you have planned for yourself is not always uh, by any means what God has planned for you. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes I I believe this is this is my point I was trying to get to. I I believe that I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Meaning, did God want me to be an addict? No. Mm -hmm. Did I make those choices to be an addict? Yes, mm-hmm. but there's a, there is going to be a reason for that. It happened. I believe mm-hmm. that I'm right where I'm supposed to be because I'm supposed to do good with whatever mm-hmm. I went through. I, right. You know, there's Absolutely. something good that's going to come out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that in itself is what helps keep me clean. Mm-hmm. That is one thing. And the second thing that keeps me clean, and it's something very, very simple. 
but it's, but I hold on to this every day. My clean date is May 10th, 2015, which on the calendar is 5, 10, 15. It's the easiest thing to remember. And it, it's such a cool clean date that I don't ever want to lose it. And if that's what keeps me clean, you know, if something as simple as a date can keep right. me clean, you know, I mean, then it's, it's 100% worth it. But I mean, there's obviously other big major factors, but when I really think about it, I don't want to lose that clean date. That mm-hmm. clean date is so important to me. That's when I decided to turn my life over to God and to say, Hey, take this control it. I, I can't do it. Obviously I can't do this by myself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I decided to make a conscious decision to join Narcotics Anonymous, to go to meetings every week, to do the work, to do the step work, to meet with my sponsor, to do all those things and to give back. Right. And for me, the giving back part of it is, is what I love the most. I mean, mm-hmm. I've gone into prisons, I've gone or jails, I've gone into other, um, you know, treatment centers, you know, I go to Grace house. I, I go speak to women, you know, as often as I can. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like right now, especially I need to do it more, but that's what I love doing the most. I love telling my story. You know, I always thought I was different when I walked in the door. I remember the first time I walked into a meeting and I was like, I am a, white girl from Germantown. I do not belong here, mm-hmm. you know, and that's where my brain was. And I thought I was be- better than everybody else in that room. Sure, and I walked, yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know, and I walked into a room 15 years ago. Okay. And never went back until, um, I got out of treatment on June 22nd, 2015. That's when I got out of treatment. Um, and when I, and then I started going to me, I was going to meetings while I was in treatment, but that's when I started working on the outside, mm-hmm. you know, and going to meetings regularly and setting my own schedule of going to meetings and working with a sponsor. And I just remember how freeing that was to say, you know what, you and I might not have the same story, but there are some similarities mm-hmm. to why we're addicted And we always say, look for the similarities, not the differences, because that's the first thing we do. We go in and look for the differences. Well, I'm not like him. Well, I didn't do what they did. Well, I didn't get a DUI. Right. You know, all of those things. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when I started to do that and started to change the way that I thought about myself and about everybody else in that room, that's when, you know, I, I really understood what being an addict was. But see, look at, look at the lesson that you learned. You know, because um, living a godly life, you know, we we learn that you have to be selfless. You have to let your ego die um, so that you can serve other people. And so right. you were so full of ego and, and prideful beforehand. Look at the lesson that you learned coming out the other side. Yeah. And sure. so... You know, I always love those kind of situations because it's like, uh, like God's telling you through all these struggles and trials and stuff that, you know, you have to go through this bad thing, unfortunately, to come out the other side to be the person that I know that you are yeah, and the person that I want you to be and look at yeah. who you are now and you're stronger for it Absolutely. and you're better for it. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, I listen. And if 
if you're out there and you're dealing with somebody who is a using addict and once they get into recovery, let me tell you something, they are not a perfect person. They don't come out perfect right. after they're in recovery for a few years. I am not perfect. I still make some of the dumbest mistakes. <laughs> I we all do, you know, <laughs> you know, and it's like, you know, do I think about things a little bit more? Do I, you know, I'm still very opinionated. Mm -hmm. If you follow me on Facebook, you know, I'm very opinionated about politics. And we share the uh, same kind of opinions, by the way. We do, <laughs> you know, and, but that, that's just who I am. And that part of me doesn't change. What right. changes is, you know, a, my behavior changes first and foremost. I mean, that mm -hmm. has to change. Right. Um, people, places, and things have changed tremendously. Right. You know, exactly. there are very few people that we used to hang out with that I yep. still talk to. Same. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, and, you know, me not living in self will has changed. You know, right. it's all about God's will. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I just do what he tells me to do, you know, mm -hmm. and sometimes I do self will some things and that's when I get myself in trouble. But, mm -hmm. you know, again, not a perfect person, but I try to do my best every day mm -hmm. um, and try to do a little bit better each and every day. So, mm -hmm. you know. So how hard um, was going through the withdrawal part of it? Oh, God, it was awful. I mean, it, it really was. Um, the first time that I really went through horrible, horrible withdrawals, I, I'll never forget it. I... Had taken a job in Little Rock. I had this beautiful apartment, um, and I was working for a TV station out there. And I think at that time I was only there for a year and a half, and I just think I got really, really lonely. And um, I remember still having the female issues, but I was started to get really bad stress headaches and things like that. And so, you know, there, there was my excuse. Um, mm -hmm. and I started going to this, seeing this one doctor who constantly wrote me stuff. And I remember he cut me off cause he started to figure figuring out, um, mm -hmm. me and, um, you know, I remember laying on my couch for two days and I was so weak that I could not even turn the television on. And I, I just remember laying there just going, God, please make this stop. And I was taking anything I could find to try to make me feel better over the counter. Like I remember taking my doll, just please knock me out. And let me go to sleep. You know, all I mm -hmm. wanted to do was sleep through it because it's terrible. I mean, you have, it's like having a really, really bad case of the flu. It's like body aches, you're sweating one minute, you're cold the next, you're mm -hmm. shaking, you are feeling nauseated if you're not throwing up, um, you know, you're having bad headaches. And I'm sure my stress headaches were probably because either I wasn't taking enough mm -hmm. or I ran out. And so, and I didn't realize that, hey, you're, you're going through withdrawals, you know, right. as long yep. as I'd been doing drugs up to that point. I'd never gotten so bad um, up until that point. So, yeah, I mean, it physically it's awful, but the psychological part of withdrawals, it just, it, you'll start thinking of things like, okay, 
How can I get this? What can I do that's not going to get me in trouble? Mm -hmm. You're constantly trying to think of ways to get it. Who could I call and say, I have, you know, I have this going on. Do I know somebody that may have something Mm -hmm. without letting them think in that I'm right, you know? So, Mm -hmm. you know, both those things going through your brain and your body at the same time is just, Oh, it's terrible. Never mind. I can say I have had a couple of phone calls at different times from people who were scraping the bottom of the barrel by contacting me to get them something. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's really hard to be in that situation and have to give the tough love to where you're like, no. Yeah. You know, I love you. And I want you to still be around. So no, I cannot help you. Yeah. Yeah. So did you, did you ever like try to get money or anything from your family? Oh yeah. Oh Mm -hmm. yeah. I did. I mean, I would either make excuses to get money um, or, you know, I, I would steal from them. I mean, I 100% did. Mm -hmm. My stepdad had a, I knew where he kept his, cash and he had an mm-hmm. overflow of cash in a place and I 100% went in there and would take what I needed. And yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. <clears throat> so how hard was that to, to get that trust back? Oh gosh. So, you know, that is, you know, that's one of the things that's the hardest thing to do. It's the most humbling thing to do step eight and nine is first of all is to admit your wrongs and second of all to make amends for them. Mm-hmm. And my family always told me basically, I remember my dad saying this to me before he passed away in 2021. He said, I, you don't owe me an apology. Just keep doing what you're doing, mm-hmm. you know? And, and most people, and this is what I find, especially with my family, they just want to see me do well and do better and mm-hmm. live a better life. And, right. you know, all of those things and be there, you know, I mean, listen, my, you know, my dad died in 2021. That was the hardest thing I had gone through clean. Mm-hmm. Um, I took care of him for over a year, basically two years. Um, but I, I moved to, moved in with him, you know, a few months before he died to take care of him. I was doling out his pain medicine and that, and you know, at that time, and that took I, strength, that took a lot of strength. That mm-hmm. took a lot of work with my sponsor and there were days and I will, I will, and I, my sponsor knows this, my brother knows this, you know, cause my brother, one of my brothers and I were, he was the financial, he was actually his power of attorney, but I was doing the medical side of it. Mm-hmm. I knew more about it. I knew who to ask. I knew what to ask. Men are just terrible when it comes to that kind of stuff. Agreed. You know, <laughs> case in point, my husband. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and plus, I was there day to day, so I knew, you know, physically what my dad was going through. But you know, I, you know, there were times where my dad, because he had he had alcohol induced dementia. Mm-hmm. So the other thing with me too is addiction runs in our bloodline. I mean, it just does. My dad was an alcoholic. He mm-hmm. knew he was an alcoholic, never wanted to stop drinking. And that was his decision not to ever stop drinking. Mm-hmm. Um, but he had alcohol induced dementia. And so he, there were times where he would get absolutely so mean towards mm-hmm. me. Belligerent. Um, 
And it, yes, belligerent. Mm-hmm. He took a swing at me a couple of times. I had to call my brother to come over and, and it would have been so easy for me to open that bottle and take one and not have anybody know about it, mm-hmm. you know? And if it weren't for, you know, the strength of God, cause it certainly was not my strength. Mm-hmm. Um, and pick up the phone and call my sponsor at two o'clock in the morning. I don't know if I would have gotten through that. I mean, honestly, you know, I had to, this is terrible. And this is something that I really, really struggle with, um, with my dad. And I've, 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 and I think it's so poignant to the story because it, it makes things when life happens and you're, in recovery, it makes it extremely real. And mm-hmm. when it gets, when things get really tough, you know, that's when you realize or know how, how strong you truly are and how solid right. your recovery is. Mm-hmm. Um, but my dad, because he had gotten very belligerent, you know, I, he couldn't be there by himself. He um, literally, uh, would fall all the time, mm-hmm. you know? And so it was, it was very stressful, but he got to a couple of times where he took a swing at me. And, and one time he did land and mm-hmm. I was so freaked out and I called my brother and I said, we can't keep doing this. And we both had made, and I called my aunt, who's a sister. And I said, look, this is what's happening. Should we call the police? I, I don't know what else to do. And so I did file and there's so much guilt on me now, but I did file a DV charge on my dad. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really struggled with that for a long time because mm-hmm. they took him to, to jail uh, in Collierville and then they transferred him downtown because of COVID. So that made me feel even worse, but <laughs> right. you know, I, you know, <laughs> <At and> 201. <laughs> yeah. They took him down to 201. Here's the <clears throat> thing. So I struggle with that. Okay. I still struggle with that to this day, Mm -hmm. that decision that we made and that I felt like I made because it was done to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And my sponsor keeps telling me, we're going to work. We got to get you through this because you can't hold on to that anymore. Mm -hmm. Your dad has already forgiven you. He didn't even know what happened. You know, um, God's forgiven, you know, all those things, but I can't seem to let that go. Um, But anyway. (laughs) That's the hardest thing to do though. Is to forgive yourself um, and to ask for forgiveness for yourself. Yeah. Or expect other people to forgive you. Um, And that's why, like, one of the best things that you can do every day is pray for forgiveness. You know, let me forgive myself. Um, You know, kind of say, like, a little forgiveness mantra to you know, have other people forgive you for things that you may not even remember ever doing. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and pray for forgiveness for other people that can't ask for forgiveness themselves. Yeah. I have, I have a friend that they just, her and her husband cannot forgive, um, an ex You know, and I'm like, I'm going to pray for forgiveness for you since you're not at the point where you feel like you can forgive. Yeah. So, yeah, those things are hard to work through. 
It is. And, you know, forgiving yourself, I think sometimes is the hardest thing to do. I mean, Mm -hmm. it just is. I can forgive somebody else easily. Sometimes Mm -hmm. I have to process it. You have to give me some time, but I will eventually forgive you. It's just in my nature to do that. I learned that from my mother. My mother's a very, very forgiving person. Right. Um, That's one of the things that I admire about her. And I try Mm -hmm. to be more like, um, but when it comes to myself and because listen, it, when it's your parents and you're thinking, am I making this decision to protect me or to protect the both of us? And I felt like I was doing it to protect him because Mm -hmm. he was going to hurt himself if he, if not me. Right. And I knew that at the time. And you know, that's why I made the call to my brother and I made the call to my aunt and said, help me make this decision because mm-hmm. I'm here, you know. And so I know in my brain, I know logically that I did the right thing. Right. But it it was the actual physical watching the police, put him in handcuffs, taking mm-hmm. him off and him looking at me saying, Sarah, what's going on? And in that moment, I realized, oh, my God, he doesn't even know. What's going mm-hmm. on? Am I doing the right thing? But you, know? you, but see, the thing is, you didn't act out of emotion. You, yeah. you called other people. Yeah. And you were like, what should we do? And you, you talked about that. You talked through it with other people. And so you have to find that, that spot of forgiveness for yourself yeah. because you didn't react solely on on what your emotions were and you were thinking about his safety because I worked on Alzheimer's unit for well, a long time and they get the worst uh violent episodes uh yeah. during their sundowners phases and stuff yeah. and they they will literally bite you they will claw your flesh off they'll punch you yeah. Kick you, you'll be called all kinds of names, but, but yeah. you were looking for his safety. Yeah. And yeah. And you know, that was the thing. I mean, girl, we could do a whole show on dementia and also, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, honestly, mm-hmm. I mean, cause it, it's, it, that's a horrible thing to watch. Right. I'm just glad. I'm just grateful that. I had such a, you know, and still to this day I do, but during that time, especially had such a strong network of women that I could reach out to in the program, you know, that my sponsor was calling me every day, sometimes two or three times a day, you know, I was calling her, you know, so, I mean, it, it was a blessing, honestly, Mm -hmm. that, that we got through that. And, you know, after he died, there was a sense of, you know, kind of, okay, you know, and then there was the overwhelming just grief and did I do enough and all these things. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so it, you know, it took me a good year to get past that. And there's Mm -hmm. still some things obviously that I'm still working on with it, but you know, that, that was hard. That was the toughest year of my recovery, I think. Mm -hmm. For sure. But, but you are such a strong person to, you know, to live with him and to care for him and to, to be around that and to be around the meds and not stumble. Yeah, that was tough. So I didn't realize how tough it was until, yeah. It was, so it was look, look back at the person that you were mm-hmm. before you got addicted to stuff and think about your personality. If you were taking care of your dad during that time, 
would you be as strong as you are now? Would you be that that same, you know, would you have the same character then as you do now? Before I got addicted? Mm-hmm. Before I ever got addicted? God, I was so... Or were you, you were very much a yes person? Yeah. And oh, you yeah. didn't want to upset For anyone sure. and you didn't stand For your ground. Sure. Even when I was addicted, I was so much of a yes person. Mm-hmm. You know, I was just, you know, I was disappointing people all over the place. So any anytime my, you know, fam, anybody asked me to do something, I was going to do it, even if I didn't feel right about it or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, I would let people treat me however during mm-hmm. that time for sure. Right. And I'm not just saying my family. I'm saying friends, mm-hmm. you know, whomever. I can think of one particular male in the bar scene. <laughs> that- into that category. Yeah. Yeah. Good times. (laughs) You know, and there's so many things that you, you have to be thankful for, even though you went through a horrendous struggle and journey to, to come out the other side. Yeah. Be grateful of the, what an amazing person you are now and how much you've changed. I am, you know, I, I really am grateful, you know, I'm grateful that, you know, I am clean today. 100%. I'm grateful Mm -hmm. that my behavior has changed. It's Mm -hmm. taken a lot of work because to be honest with you, my addictive behavior started way before I ever put the first first drug in my body. I mean, I Mm -hmm. could tell you that as a kid, I would do great stupid things, you know, just, I, I mean, I was such a smart ass. I was, you know, I Mm -hmm. thought I was better than people. I mean, it's just, when I look back on it and I think about those things, it's like, and most, most addicts are, most addicts show addictive behavior before they even Mm -hmm. put the first drug in their body. Um, And so, I mean, I'm just grateful that I'm still here. There's so many times where I should be dead, you know, Mm -hmm. and I realized that, God's given me second, third, fourth, fifth, a hundred mm-hmm. chances. And, you know, if I decide to go down that road again, it, it very well could be my last chance. And I'm not willing to do that. You know, right. I have too much to live for. Um, I say that just for today, because that's what we say. We have a 24 hour reprieve, you know, mm-hmm. but at this moment, I can tell you that I, I never want to go down that road again. Um, and, you know, I just, I'm, I'm grateful for my life today. Is it perfect? No. Do I have the man of my dreams? No. God, where is he? That's what I'm asking. You know, and I, <laughs> I get frustrated sometimes because he's not here, but you know, I'm 50 God. It's, it's time. Um, but other than that, life is good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, know? that's, you know, and that's the thing is it, it happens when you least expect it, but that could be I another know. thing where you had to go through all of these things in life, the series of events yeah, to change you, change your personality yeah. into the person that is capable to not only love yourself, but not in an egotistical way, but to also be that perfect soulmate for someone else. And unfortunately, you know, that happens a lot in life where we have to go through horrendous things before 
we basically mature ourselves or God matures us to the point where we're ready yeah, to be absolutely. part of a relationship. So uh, you've done a lot of work. And so uh, you never know uh, whoever was at your door a while ago <laughs> could have been. Uh, could have been. Right. Could have been. And the dogs, their dogs were like, mom, mom, seriously. He's here. Dude, yeah. <laughs> Come get the door. Why are you ignoring us? I know. Yeah. I know. So how did you, I know they, they talk about it in recovery, but is that when you decided to give your life over to God? Um, The point I where think- you are now, or did it happen more so like after you were out of treatment and stuff and you're like, okay. This has got to change. Yeah. So I've always had a relationship with God with Mm -hmm. my Catholic upbringing, but Mm -hmm. that was always kind of different because with Catholicism, everything's very traditional. Everything is Mm -hmm. very, you know, you do the sign of the cross before you pray and you end it, you know, with the sign of the cross. And for me, praying was just a conversation with Mm -hmm. God, It, it, you know, and I have several a day with him. As it should be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, That coming from that to now going to a non-denominational church where I feel, and, and look, don't get me wrong. I I have issues with the Catholic church, but I I grew up, I grew up Catholic too, and I'm not Catholic anymore. (laughs) Yeah. And there's also a part of me that still loves the Catholic church. And I think it's because I grew up that way. I enjoy the traditionalism, like at church, at Christmas, at funerals, things like that. Mm-hmm. Every day, no, that's just not where I get my, uh, that's not where I get fulfilled. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I found um, a church and a, and a pastor who I love, um, you know, at Grace Valley. Um, it's a great church with Andy Savage, but, um, and, and for me, it, you know, I always had a relationship. It got 100% better when I got into recovery. I started talking to him more Mm -hmm. because I always felt like, you know, we always say, especially when I first came in, God turned his back on me. And that's not true. I mean, Mm -hmm. obviously God was always there. We turned our back on him. Exactly. Right. And um, and we self-willed everything and, mm-hmm. but it took me getting into recovery and kind of learning that and working the steps because even though it is a spiritual, not a religious program, mm-hmm. God is in every step, right? He just is. Um, now people have different definitions of God, especially when they first come in. Some people right. have had absolutely no relationship. Some people have had horrible, mm-hmm. you know, because they, you know, they think church is God and what they don't, <clears throat> what they don't realize is that's not the case. That's not it. No, <laughs> yeah, it is not the case. Um, so what I love about the program is a lot of times it, it does lead people to God, which I love. That's one of the, fa- my favorite things in the program. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, it was just, I had to rebuild that relationship of of what I thought I needed to rebuild. And what I realized is I just needed to, you know, talk to him. Shut my mouth and listen, you know. Mm-hmm. And um 
And I was so grateful for that. And I, and I watched God work in my life. Right. In such beautiful ways. Um, and so when that happens and pe- other people start to see it, especially in the program, when they're mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, the God thing I can't do. Okay. Well, you know, j- you know, just, I, I always tell my sponsees, I, I've had a couple sponsees who were like, I, I don't get the God thing. I don't like the God thing. You know, I've had a bad experience with God. And I'm like, listen, um, and, and they didn't know how to pray or didn't want to pray. And I'm like, right. listen, I just, I, I just want you to fake this. And I want you to say this every day. I just want you to say, God, you know, today, let me do your will, not mine. And that's all I want you to say. And I want you to do that for the next month. And I want you mm-hmm. to see what happens in your life, you know? Right. And then they would start to build a conversation, you know, when they'd start to see things. Oh, okay. You know? And so that's a beautiful part about it. And sometimes right. it's something that simple mm-hmm. in the conversation, you know, that leads people down the right path. Um, it so, makes yeah. me it makes me so happy to have that relationship because you know even things that that people would take like completely for granted um and there's been so many times like I had to go to Indiana to move my daughter um and her boyfriend into a place you know over the summer or whatever and so we're moving like her last load of stuff And we're driving in between Bloomington and my hometown. And it is, there's no lights. It's curvy, windy road, uh, back road, very dark, very desolate. And so it started pouring to the point where we could not see. And I was just like, please, God, let the rain stop because I'm concerned for my safety and the safety of my child. Please make the rain stop. It stopped immediately or I told a story on my previous episode that, you know, uh, we had moved ourselves here last month and we were talking about how, because I love wildlife and I was like, I miss seeing, you know, hawks and eagles all the time because now it's like a very wooded covering uh, like canopy and you can't see anything. And so we were sitting outside talking one morning and a hawk flew and landed on the fence. And I was like, thank you, God. And it was just from the conversation that we had the day before. And it's like all of the things that people have happened in their lives that they think are so like insignificant. I'm so thankful for, for every day and every way that he works and moves in my life and allows me to, to help other people, to meet other people. It's just beautiful to me. I, I wouldn't trade it for the world. And I would have never had this experience if I still would have continued being a nurse. I wouldn't be where I'm at right now. Really? So he has completely moved my life like a chess piece, you know, and I'm completely in a different place and a much better place. That's amazing. I mean, seriously, because nursing, it, it, it is, it's hard work and mm-hmm. it's, it's one of the most underappreciated do- jobs you can have. Right. And it does, it takes a toll on people and, and, mm-hmm. um, 
you know, and I, and I know how you are. I know you're such a loving person. I can only imagine what a great nurse that you are and were. So when that takes a toll on you, I can only imagine. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And it's just, it's amazing. You know, the, the pieces that he's moved mm -hmm. to let me find Greg, um, yeah. to move me to a new state, to have new opportunities, to move me out of nursing into something completely different yeah. to where I can focus on helping other people yeah, and not expecting like anything in return. I, I couldn't be happier. So. Isn't it amazing though, how, how good that feels when mm -hmm. you can get to a point in your life where you're like, okay, you know, I'm hoping that what I'm doing is going to make a difference in somebody else else's life mm -hmm. and not, mm -hmm. and like you said, not getting anything in return for it. Mm -hmm. You know, as long as you're putting, you know, good content out there about what's going on in people's lives or mm -hmm. like what we're doing today. Like I, I hope, you know, I hope my story um, connects with somebody, mm -hmm. you know, I hope that, you know, or somebody understands it or people have mm -hmm. more compassion for addicts and, and those right. kind of things, you know, cause that's another whole. You and know, I issue. think it, I think it will touch so many different people because it's not just about, you know, the, the narcotics, it's about the depression you were going through the, yeah. you know, everything that was going on in your life that morphed into this, you know, monster per se. And, and people can identify with that because how many people are out there living with, you know, depression or in a, a marriage that's fallen apart or relationships that are falling apart or even relationships with kids or family members or whatever. I oh, mean, yeah. it's, it's got so many different messages in it that it is definitely for someone. Well, and mental illness is such a huge part of it. I mean, it is, mm -hmm. it is a mental illness. I mean, it, it, it is, it's, it's mm -hmm. finally been classified as one, which is great uh, because for years it wasn't, um, mm -hmm. you know, and I think that is, is so important. It's such an important part, a piece to me mm -hmm. um, for addiction, you know, cause it is, I mean, it's, it's, it, it, Addiction is one of the hardest things that I think anybody ever goes through. Now, I, you mm -hmm. know, if you have cancer and things like that, I, I totally get it. But as far as something that has, you know, psychological effects on your body and things like mm -hmm. that, I mean, it, 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 it is something, it is a lifetime of work, mm -hmm. you know, and if you don't do the work every day and every day I have to surrender to the fact that A, I'm an addict and B, just for today, I'm not going to use Mm -hmm. Um, if I don't do those things every day and if I don't work the steps and call my sponsor and all of those things and reach out to people in recovery or people that are supportive of me, then there's a chance that I'll use. And so, you know, I, I don't want to do that anymore. You know, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't want to live that life anymore. So I have to be very cognizant of, of that. Right. Um, you know, and, thro and throwing those, those crutches away that that people often like store up in their closet. You know, I'm I'm sad, so I'm gonna use. Um, and I always say there's always a trigger with Absolutely. any kind of with any kind of addiction. There's always a trigger, 
that's going to set you off to make you use or use repeatedly for a lot of people. It's family issues and relationships because, you know, we're put on this earth female wise to nurture others. Um, So you have a desire to, to be a mom. Uh, You have a desire to nurture your husband and have the best relationship ever, you know, and, and when those things start going wrong, what do we do? We grab those crutches and we put them in the closet and we keep them instead of throwing them out. And one of my favorite stories from the Bible is about Elijah and Elisha, you know, and how he was plowing the field and, you know, it's like, come with me, follow, you know, follow God. And he's like, well, let me go say goodbye to everybody and stuff. And and so what does he do? He goes back and he burns the plow, mm-hmm. um, slaughters the oxen and feeds everybody. And I, I love that because it's like burning the old, old part of your life. And right. never leaving that door cracked open. So you're yeah. you're going to burn that down and move on and never look back to that same thing yeah. that, that always kept that door just slightly ajar so you could run back through it. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Yeah. So, mm. well, darling, I really, really, really appreciate you coming on and being so candid about your story. Um, I love you dearly. I'm so glad that uh, you agreed to come on and have a chitty chat with me. So yes. where can people find you, my dear? Um, so they can find me on Facebook. It's um, at Sarah Stansberry. It's S-A-R-A and then S-T-A-N-S-B-U-R-Y. I do talk a lot about my recovery, especially with milestones um, on there. Um, and then, you know, I'm, I like to talk political and family stuff. So, you know, it's a little <laughs> mixture of, of all kinds of stuff. And then I'm also on Instagram on at Sarah Stansberry and Twitter. Twitter's more political too. <laughs> <'Cause> it's, <laughs> just fun. it's it's more fun to go on Twitter and be political. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you want to follow me, great. You don't have to, but if you'd like to, that's, that's fine. Um, but thank you. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to do this. You know, mm-hmm. I, I always learn something. Um, every time I tell my story, you know, mm-hmm. I always say it's it, it's a little different every time. And it's not because it changes because I always remember something. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you ask the question about, you know, it, how did your parents react or, or whatever? And I remembered that intervention. And it's so funny because mm-hmm. I haven't thought about it until now. Mm-hmm. Uh, eight years, eight and a half years later. So it, it, it that's is. why telling your story um, is so important. And and given you know testimony, it doesn't have to be because you have an addiction or anything, but just talking about your life yeah. um, will will bring back something that you are definitely meant to remember because those yeah. things are things that um, are important pieces of your life. And it could be something that very well needs to be healed. And so, yeah. you know, thank you for sharing your story. And I'm glad you you remembered that piece. Yeah, me too. Thank you for asking that question. Um, and thank you so much, Jana. I'm so glad we reconnected. And Me too. Um, I'm, I'm so happy. I, I love this. I love 
the deplorable. I mean, I just love it. <laughs> I love deplorable nation. And so I'm so proud of you for doing this, but thank you so much for asking me. I, I love telling my story again. And this was fun. Yeah. And I'm so, I'm so thankful um, that we did reconnect after it's been a minute um, and that you did come on to, to tell your story because it's important and you are part of our lives. And so I was like, well, who better to have on than somebody that, that was integral in our lives at that time. So there you go. Yeah. So for me and for Sarah, thank you guys so much for listening and we will see you next time. Have a good one.